0: The singularity is a point on an exponential curve whereby change starts to happen at exponential rates that you just can't predict and you can't understand. If we don't figure out how to use Bitcoin to lift everyone's economic ladder up, then the risk factors to the future are just too high.
1: Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host Peter McCormack and before we get into the interview today I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept bitcoin. Now we are well into the football season and you know what things are going all right. It's been pretty good season so far for Liverpool, Tottenham struggling as ever. We always like it that way. Now, if you are interested in football, if you do want to make a bet, and if you want to use your Bitcoin, then sportsbet.io is the place to go. But they don't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S P O R T S B E T.io I-O forward slash promotions. Next up is Compass Mining, and Compass aren't just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs, and I am mining Bitcoin with them. Do you know what? I've been mining for over three months with them now. I've mined about 0.4 of Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and do updates on this every month. But with the price of where Bitcoin is, I'm approaching having, I think, about a third of my mining equipment paid off. I love that I'm mining again, because Compass has made it accessible to anyone as a Bitcoiner to get out there and start mining and contribute to the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and anyone can do it. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and Compass does everything else for you. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to start mining, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And you know what? We're coming up to a year, and I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. I am only buying Bitcoin. I am a hodler. That's all I'm doing. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined training view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface and Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is Level, a company finally delivering on the promise of a Bitcoin bank. Yes, a bank on your phone where you can deposit, spend, and hold Bitcoin, and you can also do this alongside a traditional dollar checking account. You can deposit your payroll into your account as a US user, and you can even spend your Bitcoin from your account via your MasterCard debit card. I have been testing it out. I've been playing with the app, and it is everything I've ever wanted from personal banking, And there's so many more updates coming. They've got some big updates coming in February, so keep an eye out for that. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you want to go and check it out, please head over to Level, which is LVL.co, or search for Level, which is LVL, in the Google or Apple app stores. Morning, Austin. Morning. So yesterday, we were meant
2: to sit down and talk about the vulnerable world thesis or hypothesis? Hypothesis. Hypothesis. And uh, But I wanted to set it up and ask you a little bit about Bitcoin. And then we ended up recording a, a monster show just about Bitcoin. So yeah. here we are back again. Yeah. Uh, you touched on it yesterday. I hinted at it. Yeah. Hinted at it. But uh, it's worthy of its own show. So we're doing a Austin Hill doubleheader.
0: Okay. Appreciate the opportunity.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, it was oh. a fascinating chat yesterday. Me and Jeremy are a little bit... Taken aback a little bit, it made me think a lot yesterday about Bitcoin and the importance of Bitcoin. But we have to park that for now. We have to talk about the
0: vulnerable world so hypothesis. So no discussions about Peter Schiff or if
2: if it's relevant, we'll bring oh, okay. it up. But let's uh, we'll just have him as a backdrop for now. Um,
0: well, hopefully, we find time for it later because I have a lot of empathy for Peter and his family story. I, I viewed the entire thing as a like a Star Wars saga.
2: Well, no, and I understand that. I actually like Peter Schiff. I, I, I think he's one of the smartest people out there with regards to his observations on the economy. I just feel like he hasn't moved with time and technology. But I do appreciate but, him. But you understand why? His mm. father, Irwin. Well, I know what happened to his father.
0: Yeah, and he and his brother. I mean, his father died in prison. Yeah. How can a man go against his father? So I literally view it as he, like, you know. Think about it like in the Star Wars, I, I, I'm a big Star Wars geek, so in mm-hmm. the Star Wars era. Are we all? Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, uh, Think of him like Anakin. He's like trapped in the dark side. You know, he's trying to honor his father's name. He's like, you know, revenge for his father. Uh, and yet his son is into Bitcoin and hopefully his son <laughs> will uh, be Luke who will save him and teach him Bitcoin. That is great. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. Hopefully, yep. I. Hmm. He can't go against his father. I mean, of this course. was his father's battle. Gold, he, gold will be the rock he dies on, and because his father died on that rock, and but hopefully his son will teach him Bitcoin and uh, bring him over to the light side. Well, I feel like Bitcoin
2: is a tool that helps him with his ideas, with his. Oh, certainly, he loves it.
0: He, like, everyone needs an opponent. Everyone needs an enemy, and he's used it to promote his gold and his stance. But, he, you know, there's a certain amount of intellectual dishonesty not opening up to the argument. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, you're, when it, you were raised on that, he and his brother, his brother is a comedian, uh, you know, talks about the economy go, go, going dead. Both of them saw their father die mm-hmm. in prison at the hands of the government promoting te- you know, free libertarian tax ideals and but, sound money.
2: But this is one of the reasons why I think he should like Bitcoin, because it's an even better tool to work against the state. Yeah, sometimes we, we don't understand. I almost want to have a conversation with him without cameras, like a real just yeah. chat, man to man, let's talk about it. Uh, maybe it'll happen one day. But I actually do like the guy. I troll him, and he trolls me, and we have a bit of fun. But I do actually like the guy. I view it as this
0: epic Star Wars saga that I just love seeing play out.
2: <laughs> That's such a great analogy. All right, let's not divert ourselves for another hour and a half okay. and miss the main topic I want to talk to you about, this vulnerable vulnerable world hypothesis. So let's go back to... Shall we start by just explaining the singularity again? Because that is something you talk about a lot.
0: Yeah, so the singularity uh, if you go by, look into Ray Kurzweil and a, a number of people, <laughs> is a point on an exponential curve whereby uh, change starts to happen at exponential rates that you just can't predict and you can't understand. The pace and society can't understand the pace of you know changes that are occurring. Um, generally thought to be when we have uh, nanobots, nanomaterial, programmable, uh, microbiology, so we can go into our bodies, program our bodies, and we have either applied AI or AGI that is able to direct, control, manage these things. And the combination of all of these things together are going to create a society and a set of technologies that we have just not even comprehended yet. And that exponential curve is coming at the exact same time of what Jeff Booth has talked about, which is the exponential curve of fiat debt. And those two colliding forces are going to create a risk factor, if you think about it from a threat modeling point of view, that is just too large for us to handle. If we don't, Figure out how to use Bitcoin to lift everyone's economic uh, ladder up. You know, rising sea raises all boats. And if we don't ha- figure out how to do that, then th- the risk factors to the future are just too high. So as I mentioned ye- yesterday, you know, Jeff Booth has this famous comment, tell me one point in the w- world history where you could build walls big enough to keep the haves from the have-nots. And... Uh, I described a scenario yesterday mm-hmm. where you know a disaffected Venezuelan or some other country who you know has been denied entry into the United States because they don't have the right economic status or they're not the right color um they're trapped maybe in Mexico or maybe in some other Latin American regime that's a failed state because of failed drug policy narco-terrorism they've seen incredible horrors. I mean, you hear the stories, people showing Mm -hmm. up in some of these, applying for asylum. These are not unreal stories. Like there are people actually who've seen their families co-opted by gangs, raped, murder. And when this aggrieved person in five years, in 10 years, starts to look at the world and sees a bunch of people getting rich, having a, a great life, having great opportunity, They're going to have access to a set of technologies to express their hate that we don't, are only beginning to understand. CRISPR, synthetic bio, uh, autonomous insect sized drones, uh, you know, just the mix of technologies are just unlimitless. And, you know, revolutions and changes in fusion power, fission power. Uh, we're going to be having all these technologies that someone will create a mass casualty event. This is Nick Bostrom's Vulnerable World Hypothesis, that essentially the every time we reach into the in, urn of invention, he talks about, we risk pulling out a black ball, he calls it. Um, I don't like that metaphor, but you know, it's a poison pill, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, in this scenario, this aggrieved individual could or might, you know, today we have aggrieved individuals who go out and grab Mm AR-15s. They shoot up schools. They shoot up movie theaters. Um, Who's to say that someone's not going to go to a university lab and say, I'm going to weaponize some virus. I'm going to create some COVID-55 that's genetically engineered to wipe out 20." 20 or 40 million people of a certain race, of a certain economic class. Uh, I'm just going to deploy it in this city. And when you have a mass casualty event of 10 or 20 or 30 million people that's genetically engineered and intentional, how do you think the world's governments are going to react to that?
2: Similar to now, but more extreme.
0: So take away all our freedoms. All
2: our freedoms, yeah.
0: Move to a totalitarian state. Um, Geopolitical wars. So uh, autocratic leaders and populists rise in power because they need an enemy within and an enemy without, like an external enemy, and then they need to form dis- dissension internally. Um, and democracy starts to fail.
2: Democracy is already failing.
0: Democracy has challenges, but there's opportunities. Of course, yeah. I think there are a lot of opportunities. And... uh you can imagine, so when you you start doing uh, future casting and p- there's a lot of great people who are doing charities on and on harm reduction strategies. Mm-hmm. So harm reduction strategies say, okay, if this is going to happen, so the greatest threats in the next 10, 15 years are going to be economic and climate-related migration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can believe in climate uh Change or not, but it, the science is there clearly. I do. Yeah, there is going to be massive amounts of weather-related disruption that's going to ruin countries. Rising sea levels, people are going to be economically displaced. Uh, sorry, uh, climate-related displacement, and at the same time, there's going to be economic displacement because are, their currencies are being debased in the currency wars. They're robbed of opportunity, and they have to flee to better shores and better opportunity.
2: Which we're already seeing early signs of economic displacement. I mean, it's been happening for decades, but it seems to be there is a growing number of people migrating. (laughs) People are migrating across, trying to migrate across Europe. We have massive issues across Europe we have look what's
0: happening in Turkey with the yeah yep.
2: uh, on the border of the US. We have migration from Central and South America up to the US. Thousands. It doesn't of people serve the, the politicians
0: right now to solve the immigration problem because nope. it's it, it, it's a rubber chew toy to fight over in a two party system that's broken.
2: Yep. But even in a Bitcoinized world, which we believe will bring more economic prosperity. And uh, like a lower uh, economic disparity between the haves and have not, it still it may only limit the issue of these access to exponential technologies. But we still have like there will still be people who feel like they're a have-not, and there will still be psychopaths, and there will be. People who are angry, they might be angry for a variety of reasons. We might have you know, religious fundamentalists who are angry. So it doesn't eliminate the problem, it just reduces the problem.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's about reducing the threat profile, yeah. reducing the exposure, right? So you, when you think about threat modeling, you're thinking about, okay, so what are some of the things that could be done? What are some of the technologies? What are some of the investments? What are some of the opportunities that we could do to reduce the overall threat profile for the world?
2: And sorry, just to remind, we're talking about CRISPR, we're talking about nuclear technology, we're talking about AI. Uh,
0: Not so much. AI could be misused, but uh, the the barrier to entry for AI is quite high. AI combined with these technologies? No, AI is going to power a lot of these technologies that will allow people to do problem-solving, new designs. You'll be able to go ask an AI agent, please show me a molecular design for XYZ if the AI agent doesn't have constraints on it and isn't told not to model a hostile version of COVID-55, it will help you design a perfect weaponized version of a drug.
2: What about AI to sow discord?
0: Um, Yeah, certainly we've seen the effects of what happens when AI is let loose on public feeds and social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a huge issue. You know, the work that... uh, Tristan Thomas is doing. I don't know if you're familiar. No, tell me. He, uh, he does incredible work on uh, just the addiction to technology. And uh, Roger McNamee, who is a great VC in the Silicon Valley, has helped fund him. They called out Facebook and were very vocal about the idea that the governance around Facebook and how they control their feed and how they've built AI to kind of gamify, hate, and discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, has just created a perfect platform to allow dissension and political speech and, like, you know, essentially get you addicted to debate, hate, dissension. Keep you on the platform. Keep you on the platform. Send you advertising. Jack has done a really good job in rethinking how Twitter can approach this, Um, but it's also not perfect, you know? There is no one easy solution to these things.
2: The monetization of social, social media is about eyeballs, what is the best algorithm to keep your eyeballs or keep you coming
0: back? Yeah, but, you know, frankly, I mean, the Chinese with TikTok came out from a totally different approach, Mm -hmm. which was we're going to create a creator space that enables creators to be creative and commercialize their production of art. You know, people singing funny songs, people doing, and, you know, and that actually came from an acquisition from Farhad Mohat Uh, who's this great LA entrepreneur who uh, have built Flippogram and that got acquired and ended up becoming TikTok. Um, But, you know, there are other ways to build social media that promote artists, promote happiness, promote uh, a different set of values that don't have to be gamified this way. Um, But that'll take time to play itself out. But in the Bitcoin world, if you imagine some of the things that are coming to fruition, Twitter, lightning payments, Strike, the incredible work that Jack Mailer, all these people are doing on lightning, Mm -hmm. the work being done in El Salvador. Some of the stuff that Balaji talks about in terms of pseudonymous identities, being able to be nomadic global citizens. So you could have someone who actually earns Bitcoin, earns money from around the world, no matter where they are, as long as they have a smartphone.
2: As a pseudonymous influencer.
0: Yeah. Pseudonymous, they can be giving English language courses. Mm-hmm. You could imagine a Zoom filter that just puts a different face on them and allows them to be a different person for that transaction. And they could be a call center agent. They can be, uh, you know, they could be program do programming jobs. There's some incredible opportunities in US. There's US online learning schools that teach you how to become a Ruby programmer or a per programmer or a software programmer and they take a commission on your salary. If that were all done in Bitcoin and available to the entire world, right now it's just limited in the United States because of payment rails. So all, the, all of a sudden you now have a people who are getting rich in Bitcoin in a currency that isn't being debased while they're there. So if they do end up knocking on a door and migrating, they're like, I'm coming to move into a house I just bought in Denver. I have half a million dollars in savings in Bitcoin. Please, can I have a US visa? That changes the total landscape. You now have an immigration policy that says, please sir, welcome, you have a house, you bought a house. You have a job, you're self-employed, you earn money from wherever you want in the world. And if not the United States, Canada. Canada has one of the most informed immigration policies. Do you know that Canada is one of the few nations in the world where individual citizens can adopt refugees?
2: Nope.
0: Yeah, so Canada has this program whereby a group of citizens can get together and they form a council, so five or six people, and they sponsor an immigrant family. They all agree to be, share responsibility for finding the person a job, getting them integrated in the community, uh, finding them a home, and they can pick a family of five and directly bypass the government and say, we want that family here next week.
2: Hmm. Reminds me of my, my mother, uh, God bless her. Uh, when, when I was maybe 10 years old, we had a Yugoslavian family move in. I was even younger. I must have been five. <laughs> about five years old. We had a Yugoslavian family move into our street. And uh, this was before the the, the Balkans War. And um, they couldn't speak English. The father came over for work, and my mom integrated them in the community, helped them learn English. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah. So Canada does this, and the success rate is off the chart. Yeah. These people become very well integrated they become totally economic self-sufficient, they have jobs, they learn the language very rapidly, because the, and everyone, it was kind of based off Grameen microloans, if you're familiar with Grameen Finance. no, nope, explain it. So Grameen, uh, Grameen Bank went to Africa and started doing microloans for uh, women with cell phones. Yes, I've heard about this, yeah. yeah. So they would give women cell phone cards and they became the economic driver for that village because they would go in and essentially sell phone access to kids who had left and expats. And they would form these groups where five or six people were shared responsibility for the loan to make sure that that person didn't fall behind on the payment. So if the person ever started to fall behind, everyone would chip in to make sure that that person didn't fall behind. And by creating this community-based lending where there were shared responsibilities, They built one of the biggest banks in India, and they modeled it. It's Grameen Bank, and they built uh, software for it that does micro-lending, micro-loan program for economic development in a bunch of nations. So you can imagine doing some of these same things using Bitcoin. It's funny, Austin. Sometimes I feel like
2: I I was born at the best time in history in that my childhood wasn't destroyed by technology. We're out running around, but my... Uh, adult life and career was enhanced by technology. So I got to live the best childhood and the best adulthood, and perhaps my time here will be done before we destroy ourselves. Whereas, I, you know, my, in some ways, my children's childhood has been very different.
0: Your time done, why? What do you think your average lifespan is?
2: Yeah, well, it's 78 for a man. Um, See, you're not thinking exponential tech. Yeah, I've
0: done a lot of drugs. Hey. Listen. <laughs> I've treated my body very badly myself. I was, you know, for most of my career, I was over 300 pounds. I was very heavy. I was, uh, you know, I treated, literally treated my body like it was an Amazon box for my brain. (laughs) Uh, You know, shipping my brain to the one meeting to the next, and I never really took care of it. Um, But if you understand what's happening on singularity tech, medical tech, I figure I'm maybe... You know, a thousand, two thousand years average lifespan. Do you think you will get yeah. two thousand?
2: Yeah. We're gonna have a population issue if we uh, make this widely available. Let's go to the stars.
0: <laughs> and but also rediscover this planet and rethink how we use this planet. Yeah. There's so much opportunity to use this planet more efficiently. Agreed. When you have all these technologies, you can start thinking about like vertically scaled micro farming, like massive towers that provide food sources you can do like you know nutrient farming with microcilium and like you know these protein dense foods that are will totally that will just be built into the city infrastructure you know and robots and will farm it and take care of it and it will provide food supply for tens or 20 40 million people all right there next to your neighborhood
2: you you said yesterday that you believe the singularity is it
0: around 2037 Yeah, different people have different timeframes, but sometime around twenty thirty-seven to twenty forty-five. So the sixteen to twenty-one years away. Yeah, if we get there. If we get there, what do you mean? That's the risk. If
2: if we get there in terms of we, you mean if we don't destroy ourselves before? (laughs)
0: That's, That's the vulnerable world hypothesis. So Nick Bostrom kind of theorized, and he talked about like, let's imagine we lived in an alternate universe whereby nuclear uh, fusion, mm-hmm. like, you know, uranium, plutonium, mm-hmm. w- w- didn't take a reactor and a massive, you know, particle accelerators or, you know, a, like didn't take the barrier to entry that does exist to create, you know, weaponized uranium. Um, let's imagine you could just grab a handful of sand and put it in a microwave, and you could turn it into, you know, nuclear reactive material. If we lived in that kind of world, do you think we would be here currently today?
2: Hmm, probably not.
0: Right, the last 20, 30 years of conflict, the wars and the people fighting conflict, whether it's Israel-Palestine, Africa, uh, you know, Christian fundamentalist in the United States who did the Denver bombing, someone would have said, I'm going to grab a handful of sand, I'm going to weaponize it, and I'm going to blow up 5 million people. Mm -hmm. And society would have basically fallen down. And we would be under autocratic, despotic rule. Uh, So, you know, generally there's a huge amount to be optimistic. Steven Pinker writes about, uh, this is one of Bill Gates' favorite books. Um, You know, the trends of humankind are getting better and better, human on human deaths, Uh, child literacy, child mortality rates are dropping. Every statistic globally around the world is getting better, except for one. Economic. No. No. The number of people living under a dictator's or autocratic rule.
2: Yes. It's over half the planet now. Yeah. Alex Gladstein talks about this.
0: Yeah. Alex Gladstein does incredible work on this. Mm -hmm. A huge fan of his work, by the way. I think he's an unsung hero in the Bitcoin world. Um, We literally have more and more autocratic leaders who are using populist government, and democracy is not catching up with this. And the governance around these technologies is failing. The European model doesn't work. European models kind of sue the companies once they get big enough and try and broker some sort of payment, like, you know, kind of a green mail scam. The US government's approach is totally broken, Mm -hmm. which is let them move fast, break things. And then by the time the new power becomes entrenched, they hire enough lobbyists to essentially just pay a few fines to the SEC or the FTC or to whatever, you know, person they kind of offended along the way. And then just hire lobbyists and keep Congress in a two-party, never-ending lockup with entrenched powers.
2: It's a racket. Yeah. What about the Chinese approach? Because it feels to me like, criticisms of China aside, which are very easy and broad, that they— the state That they're
0: running— Death camps.
2: <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, well, uh, do we know the death camps? We know they are reeducation. Have you read the camps. articles
0: out of the Uyghur Muslims. Yeah, yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, I know a lot about it. But I'm 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 fully aware that they are coercing and I, they are re-educating and they are creating slaves. And I've read reports uh, of people who have been killed.
0: Forced hysterectomies.
2: Yes. Forced rape. But I'm just careful on the word death camp because the uh, comparison there is to World War Two. What happened. Across Europe,
0: and I, I'm not—it's—it's it's not the same thing. I'm not approving the, the, it. But. The world said never again. Yeah. And we are watching it happen in our lifetimes, and people are still going to China, celebrating the Olympics. People are still doing business all over China, mm-hmm. and that's just a reality.
2: Yeah, but I'm just cautious in the word "death counts" because it's like, what's the definition of death count? Okay, people. I'm aware there are reports that people have died. When these camps, but this isn't mass extermination. systematic use
0: of surveillance technologies yeah. to round up a religious population and force them to never reproduce. Yeah. with forced hysterectomies, I consider that death
2: because it's they're trying to kill it's off. Genocide. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's genocide.
0: Yeah, they're wiping out an entire race of people. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no. Like I understand your explanation there, yeah. but I think the term "death counts, people—the assumption is it's the, the mass extermination directly of the people—and it's just look. There's a slight difference, but it's, it's not that I, I'm approving of any of this, yeah. and I'm completely on your side. And there are, like I say, there are broad and 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 well-deserved criticisms of of China. With regards, this this comes. The point I'm trying to make is there are limitations that the state has putting in with the use of technology. That the belief is that certain technologies can corrupt, uh, the youth can corrupt the nation. So they have limitations on gaming. You know, can you do an? It's like an hour a day. They have limitations on their version of like TikTok or whatever it is. Whereby, uh, again, I think it's like an hour a day. But it also switches off. It's like there's a certain time, like seven, eight o'clock. Whereas I know. Yeah, Unless I monitor my children, take their phones off them, there's every chance at two in the morning they're up and they've had a look at their phone or they've spent two, three hours. Unless I monitor them constantly, China, the state, has decided to sure. try and... and the, I'm, I'm,
0: the, as a state, they are incredibly efficient. Yeah. And that's one of the dangers is communism and dictatorships generally failed. Uh, so Yuval uh, uh, Harari... Uh, Uh, I can't remember. The author of Sapiens, if you've ever... Oh,
2: yes, I've read the book. Um, What's his name? Yeah. I I know who you mean.
0: Yeah. Uh, He talks about this very, very efficiently. He said, the greatest danger in the future is the fact that, you know, dictators and dictatorships generally failed because the inefficiencies of that model. But technologies actually allowed them to mass control and mass manage a huge population with incredible efficiencies. And China's proving that, yep. you know, look at what happened in COVID. They had drones doing body scans and temperatures. They literally were able to, they broke into people's houses and forcibly removed them. They built new hospitals overnight. Like the the efficiency of the use of technology on an autocratic system where you don't have to worry about zoning rights or you don't have to worry about regulation we can't build a hospital in the United States. We can't build a bridge. We can't build power lines without, you know, 40 lawsuits and five years of, you know, regulation. So you can definitely see the benefits of technology in that autocratic system. But at the same time, do you? they have cameras in classrooms.
2: Oh, no, let's, let's be very clear. I'm, I'm not approving of this. i yeah. saying this is right. I wouldn't want to live in China. I don't even want to visit it. And there's nothing about the Chinese uh, Communist Party that I approve of. I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm I'm highlighting the rules that the state has put in place to try and not corrupt people with technology. Ideally, I would have similar rules in my own house, managed by me with my children. But just managing that with everything else that goes on in life, it proves difficult. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, but it just it is sometimes. And it doesn't need to be
0: there there are apps and there are should be service providers and there will be that essentially just become like your AI agent that allow you to talk to your AI that say, here's how I'd like my family's home network to be managed, here's the screen time rules I would like to be applied to all my phones. And it will automatically update. Will ma- I mean, if you go through the effort, you can install parental control, you can install screen time, you can install restrictions. But it takes a lot of effort right now, and it forces a parent to become kind of an IT manager. But that's a small, that's a small blip in the overall radar of time.
1: Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join BlockFi. They've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards and every purchase. But if you're interested in finding out more and you do want to take out that bonus, you want to get that $250 in Bitcoin, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks. There are just too many ways to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again, because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, You get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you get to distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. Happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is BCB Group, who provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB2. They heard about my difficulty with finding a bank, a reliable one that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB, and you know what? I could not be happier. It is so nice to finally be dealing with a bank which understands my business and understands Bitcoin and isn't putting hurdles in my way. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. And they also have this amazing fiat network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this. If you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out, then please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, we've got Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. It's over four years now, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. I
2: think where what I'm really going, where I'm really going here with this, is like for every criticism there is of the USA, they have performed the job of world police making numerous fucking mistakes over the year awful mistakes um, but at the same time we have two and a half superpowers i would say the us and china and russia are like a half superpower still a superpower but is the communist approach of total control by the chinese state is that going to be more effective in maintaining its position as a superpower compared,
0: compared to the us position and is, and is it important I hope not, and it's critically important for the human race that it doesn't become because the innovative entrepreneurial freedom free spirit of America and democratic nations around the world um, that create a economic zone of opportunity that create a place where you know look at half of the CEOs of big tech now they're all immigrants, CEO of Google, the new CEO of Twitter, um, the you know, This is the land where you can come to and create opportunity. Canada, similarly. And we need that innovative free spirit where you can't become like Jack Ma, who essentially got disappeared and re-educated the minute he got high enough, you know?
2: But we also are in the land of creative censorship within Hollywood to ensure that films aren't banned from China. Uh, the almost the, the almost outlawing of dissent within sports of the chinese state because they you know if uh, i mean who was it um the got the, the boston celtics uh guy the turkish guy um in canter was cr- critical of the chinese state and uh, Boston Celtics games were immediately pulled. So we're in a position where there is over control over freedom of speech, freedom of creativity within the US because of fears of economic punishment within China.
0: Yeah, but uh, th- that's never been one-sided. and But there does exist opportunities. I mean, I think chi- China made a major mistake, and thankfully so. With the mining? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's great for America. It's great for the Western democratic nations. And if they can pick up that opportunity and actually embrace it, Uh uh, and if America doesn't, Latin America will, Mm -hmm. we'll see more countries adopt and do what El Salvador did. Um, Then I actually think we can uh, really start to create an economic engine that uplifts and brings people up under democratic values. Alex Gladstein talks about this. You know, how Bitcoin is one of the few technologies where the economic incentives have this poison Trojan horse, this poison pill. I think it was on your show that he talked about, or it might have been Lex. uh, I think it was Lex. Yeah, Lex's show he talked about. uh, The the Trojan horse where, you know, economic engine goes up, freedom goes up. And it's a very, very rare set of circumstances.
2: Okay, let's get back to this uh, vulnerable world hypothesis, what are the things we can do without entering into totalitarianism and everything being controlled by the state?
0: So yeah, one of the things that Nick Bostrom's thesis scared me Mm -hmm. is he basically theorized that the only way to solve this is to build more policing technology, essentially like an AI monitor that follows everyone around that's a recorder that uh, basically catches crime, essentially like minority report pre-crime. Okay. And and that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. That's, you know, in the hands of the wrong government, that totally goes against my privacy, individual, you know, self-sovereignty ideals. Um, I don't want a global AI watching everything, move I make to me.
2: I don't want pre-crime. yeah it that would destroy freedom of thought
0: so um, the discussion starts to expand into what can we do mm-hmm. um, great tech talk ted talk by a gentleman named rob reed
2: i know rob yeah i've interviewed rob really yeah i've interviewed rob with regards to crispr
0: fascinating guy yeah hilarious his, Love his sci-fi books are incredible mm. Uh, huge fan of Rob. Uh, I got to talk to talk to him and, uh, this year and uh, spend some time with him in Monterey. It was incredible. Uh, one of my great moments this year. Um, he talked about in his TED talk the idea that we need to start telling better stories. We need to empower our storytellers to tell alternate uh, visions of the future that don't involve this dystopian tech, that don't evolve like. The reason we're scared about weaponized, uh, you know, Terminator drones is because Jane Cameron has popularized the Terminator idea so well that everyone talks about, oh, we can't have Skynet. We can't have Skynet. We need to have 50 more discussions like that with great storytellers talking about the things we shouldn't be building. Black Mirror is just one of them. And so we really need to start investing in these kind of storytelling to get the, what shouldn't we do, but also start doing some positive storytelling about what a society might look like that actually is a healthy society. So let me give you some examples.
2: Well, because we are storytellers and so much of uh, storytelling through film predicts really dystopian, scary futures. You mentioned Terminator and Minority Report. We have Matrix. Ma- <laughs> the, ma- the Matrix uh, connected to the metaverse actually feels like something closer to reality.
0: I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's okay. Totally discussion. Another time. We'll get side, sidetracked.
2: We could, do a, we could do a whole series.
0: Um, but there are, there are certain things that we can start thinking about. Okay. okay. Uh, drug addiction,
2: mm-hmm.
0: mass psychosis, uh, drug policy. Take a look at what Rick Doblin's doing at MAPS. Do you know MAPS? No, I don't. Multiphasic Association for Psychedelic Studies. Okay. Uh, incredible TED Talk. He talks about using psychedelic and plant medicine and FDA approved to deal with PTSD, trauma, soldiers coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having breakthroughs using a whole suite of technology uh, medicines. Um, plant medicines, uh, MDMA, uh, all clinically FDA approved. Um, and they're doing incredible, incredible work in helping people deal with addiction, uh, trauma. You know, we start looking at uh, plant substances like a boga that, uh, you know, so...
2: A boga, is that the one where you go through like a 24-hour like mirror of your life and it gets you off addictions. It's like, yeah. just for treating addiction. It's like 24 hours and it destroys your addictions, but you have to face your own soul.
0: Yeah, yeah. you use it for heroin
2: Yeah, I've heard about this.
0: Yeah, it essentially it creates instant, it's discovered in the seventies. It's an incredible plant. Uh, you know, so you, you invest and you remake drug policy, you end the war on drugs and you uh, approach it like Portugal. Where you invest in drug rehab, mm-hmm. you actually get people the help they need. You get them the proper medicine. You get them, you know, sober. You get them clear-headed, based off, you know, an actual path to, you know, management. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at some AI technologies that are doing like CBT.
2: Are you familiar with... Yep, cognitive behavioral therapy.
0: Yep. So there's a bunch of AI technologies that start doing self-help. These technologies can start doing, like, harm reduction. They can give people someone to talk to. They're AI agents that do CBT to be able to navigate and manage people into the proper treatment zones they need. For psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, for... You know, and so some of this stuff is happening. I'm involved in a few startups that are doing some of these work. You know, this is important stuff because this gives people a vehicle to reduce the harm reduction. Because, you know, as change management, as the future comes faster and more furious, people are gonna be dealing with trauma. People are gonna be dealing with life issues like COVID. Investing in some emotional intelligence technologies. There's a few startups that are doing things like women's circles, uh, like talking circles, healing centers, sexual abuse victimization centers. Um, You can invest in these types of things that create harm reduction, that create uh, centers of healing and support, that use new technologies at scale to actually bring medicine to the masses. And so you can start to change the landscape, and this can be funded potentially with Bitcoin.
2: Okay, that's one area. Uh, The area that concerns me the most is CRISPR. Because you have that ability to, uh, on a computer, print out and create new uh, strains of viruses, that could have the mortality rate of Ebola, but with the virality of uh, uh, um, something like COVID.
0: So Rob Reed talks about, there are different types of models we can think about. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe we form a democratic leader of nations where we say, you know, the, the technologies for CRISPR that are coming in the next five or 10 years, the best technologies will be a service-based industry and we're going to restrict access to them, to laboratories where you send in your plants and you, they get verified that they're not going to be weaponized or illegal or, you know, bad. And then we develop a service-based model around these technologies. So you create controlled environments, HubSpot environments. So you don't have, you know, at-home 3D printing CRISPR machines in the kind of HP kind of world. That scares actually, the shit out of me. You actually push more towards a service center model, whereby everyone sends in their plans, and it gets developed, and it comes back to you. And it gives you choke points to control, potentially, how the technology evolves. What stops a rogue state having
2: access to CRISPR?
0: You can't stop rogue states.
2: Hmm. That's concerning. So it is centralized. It's a, it's a, it's a bit similar to discussing. But you,
0: there you end up with like mutually assured destruction, similar to nuclear, nuclear. Yeah. Where you know you you basically have some sort of treaty agreements at the nation level that if a nation state is engaging in these technologies or is found to have sponsored these technologies or is supporting these, then they get blackballed on the global world order.
2: So it it reminds me of the discussions with people who are more anarcho-capitalists, which I'm not, uh, but I do massively appreciate the ideas and theories behind anarcho-capitalism, and I am somebody who, I'd be called a hypocrite here for saying I believe in freedom, yet I'm not an anarcho-capitalist, but the idea that certain parts of the, the way we uh, managed society, are best centralized uh, regulations with regards to nuclear, I think, are kind of important. Border control, I think, is kind of important. There's certain things that feel better Nuclear policy
0: is so broken. Yeah. It's horrendous.
2: It's, the policy is broken, but at the same time, um, you wouldn't want anyone having access to nuclear facilities. Absolutely. And, yeah, so there is certain parts of society, the governor society, that do feel centralized. At the same time, I believe the state is too big but I don't believe in no state. I believe some things are better centralized. I'm sure I'll get a lot of people yelling at me for this, but it's similar to that, is that the management of some of these exponential technologies are better with some centralized authority controlling it.
0: Yes, there, there needs to be some sort of governance mechanism. Um, private sector doesn't seem to be doing it very well. Yeah, there, there needs to be better solutions. And Rob Reed put out the call in his TED talk to ask storytellers to come up with those better solutions, start telling better stories, both ab- about the threats, but also I think of the opportunities.
2: Yeah, it's the disaster scenarios that make more interesting stories.
0: And yeah, films. I mean that's the way media runs. Right? If it leads, <laughs> yeah. it leads. Right? Everyone loves to write about the disaster. No one like wants to write about the promise.
2: Ubiquitous, cheap energy for all. Uh, the eradication of genetic diseases. They're just not as exciting as the robots coming from the year 2130 to try and kill John Connor.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell the story badly and not do it justice, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, So when I was studying social capitalism, social entrepreneurship, one of my heroes in the world was uh, Jeff Skoll. He created the Skoll World Forum. Um, he's an incredible man. Uh, he funded a group called Ashoka. Uh, I think it's Ashoka. Um, anyway, there's this uh, a book, How to Change the World. And in there, and I'm going to paraphrase this very badly, they talk about a politician in some Latin American country who for years had tried to bring electricity to the impoverished people. And he fought the government, fought the government, every year his bill got funded. And he literally was like, if we can get them electricity, their lives change. The children can go to school, they can read, uh, please, electricity, electricity, and just could not get it done. So finally he left government and he went into private enterprise and he partnered up with a company that was building electric grid fencing, solar grid fencing. And so they were able to build an electrical grid on the fencing. And he built an entire electric, like a hybrid electric power grid in this Latin American country that brought power to the entire nation. It electrified all the fences. It allowed them to segregate and start doing agricultural like bio-farming, like, you know, really, really good farming because they could have electricity and they could upgrade their food. Um, so they were able to sell their food better. And he became his own power company using private enterprise, using solar technology and using an off-grid power system that was essentially built off solar and electrical wiring. And it's it was this amazing story of how private enterprise can sometimes do things for the good of the people that governments can't. And the same kind of thing can happen in the United States. And the same thing can happen in Latin America. So, you know, I'm an investor. One of the companies I didn't mention or the people I didn't mention in the creation of Blockstream was uh, Real Ventures. Like, they were the, before Reed gave us the money, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, Real Ventures was the actual first money in. And it was uh, my friend, Jean-Sébastien Cournoyer, He's an incredible venture capitalist. So when Adam and I were in Malta creating Blockstream, I literally called him up and I said, I'm coming out of retirement. I need some walking around cash. Um, I'm gonna go and try and raise this crazy round. I'm gonna try and you know, help Adam do something crazy for the Manhattan Project of Bitcoin. I said, I need some walking around money. And JS literally within a week wrote me a check and gave us the money. So like, they deserve tons of credit, Real Ventures. They're a Montreal VC fund, uh, incredible people. Um, They're investors in Blockstream, they invested in our round, but they've invested in some other great companies. So they have this drone company, that it's an autonomous drone technology that drills electric utility panels almost like what Elon Musk is doing with Boring Company, but they do vertical drilling. This company is incredible. Vertical, horizontal
2: horizontal drilling.
0: Horizontal drilling with a drone. And they can remake the power grid. They can go through mountains. They can go through, like, totally rebuild, bring power lines off, you know, overhead, get rid of all of the issues you're dealing with, in terms of power transmission. And you can literally bring power anywhere across the continental US. You can go through mountains, you can go through shale, you can go through rock. Like these guys are incredible of mapping out hard to make terrain. And this drone just essentially will build a power line tunnel. And so you can move the entire US electrical grid system underground with solar powered by Bitcoin, with Bitcoin ASICs everywhere, with a bunch of, hopefully, American-made ASICs, because right now yeah. there's too many fabs in you know Taiwan. Uh, well, it's a
2: duopoly, really, now.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of investments coming into Texas, so hopefully okay. you know, we'll see some uh, factories.
2: That's a decade away, though. Are you on about yeah. semiconductors?
0: Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. We'll see.
2: Do you consider Bitcoin an exponential technology?
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: And the role of Bitcoin in protecting us against the risks as we head towards the singularity is uh, a world of economic fairness?
0: You know know the game snakes and ladders? Of course. Pretty good at it. Bitcoin is... The economic snakes and ladders.
2: I mean... It it allows (laughs) people
0: to climb up the economic ladder if they know how to use it well, or it will be to their destruction if they don't use it well.
2: Well, owning Bitcoin is like playing snakes and ladders in that you go up and down all the time, whatever number you roll.
0: (laughs) What are you talking about, price or...? Price, yeah. No, I, I don't care about price. I mean... We're in this for the long term.
2: I mean, I, I care about price because the bigger the market cap, the more people own Bitcoin, the wealthier are, the more they can put money into the right types of projects.
0: Yep, and and the price will happen. Yeah. But if you know, if the price moves too fast, uh, you know, we obviously deal with the, you know, very high lows and spikes. You know, the volatility hurts a lot of people. You know, we have all this leveraged. You know, the leverage long, short trades going on. Um, yeah, I don't want to get pr- Price doesn't interest me. I'm more into it for, like, the freedom. The the price will do what the price will do. I have no confidence. Number goes up. Like, uh, sorry, I have total confidence. Number goes up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm really, really good at in believing in that. And the price will go up.
2: What do you believe the role will be between Bitcoin and governments? And let's really, let's just talk about the U.S. Because I think a lot of the rest of the world will follow the U.S. policy. A lot of the uh, free, democratic world will follow U.S. policy. Um, and, And how do you think the game theory is playing out? Because we are seeing More politicians attach themselves to Bitcoin, whether they believe in it or not, or it's a hack for them for popularity because they know tens of millions of own Bitcoin. But how do you see like the future of Bitcoin and the state within the U.S.?
0: Well, I'm I'm a Canadian, so you know, I'm like I care about U.S. politics. I have companies, I have friends. I care about the U.S. I spend time in the U.S. I love the United States. Um, There is an opportunity for Some of the mayoral candidates, we talked about this yesterday.
2: Mayor Francis is an example.
0: Some of the stuff Salim Ismail at uh, Exponential EXO is doing, uh, formerly Singularity University. There's an opportunity to start doing municipal mayoral Bitcoin candidates, start remaking some cities, doing some interesting Bitcoin bonds. We talked about this yesterday. Um, I think you could probably partner that with third party candidates. Uh, the good party that Farhad Mohat is uh, promoting, I think has some incredible opportunity. And if we started seeing some candidates who, uh, you know backed Bitcoin, had economic, you know, there's a mayor. There's actually a mayor out there.'ll I'll find you the reference who's actually talking about giving bitcoin to every citizen in his city.
2: I think that's Mayor Francis.
0: No, no, no. This is a small, very small.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, forget what then. I know I know I've seen I've seen, uh, seen the tweets about it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a very small town very small town mayor. It's a very small city, but he basically said we're going to give bitcoin to every one of our citizens. Um, if if we start doing that at scale, we start doing that in a few other cities. Um, where you have some sort of economic improvement, some sort of relationship between the the municipality, the mayor system, you start seeing candidates and economic improvement occurring and everyday people's lives getting better. And taxes can be paid, you know, based off conversion into fiat, based off, you know, people take loans against their Bitcoin assets. you can have capital gains tax when you actually do cash out. Um, and, but you can create this economic engine that starts to be, and a candidate who kind of backs that and supports that and gets on the ticket and starts getting voted in, Andrew Yang style, or you know, at least at the municipal level, might start making some changes. If we start seeing that at the you know, state and federal level, then that might get exciting.
2: How do you think Bitcoin changes the, the role of government as well? Do you think it forces it to become smaller and more service-based?
0: I'm not sure. No. Yeah. Government is what government is. I mean, it's a, it's a hard problem to break. <laughs> One of the best Twitter accounts I, I have to give is Rusty Russell.
2: I love Rusty. Love Rusty. Well,
0: he has that Twitter account. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's retweeted me once. You know, what Bitcoin, like Bitcoin fixes this, where he mocks. Like yeah. That. And he's right. He's so right. Like, you know, Bitcoin doesn't solve all these problems. Like, you know, we have to have a bit of humility in some of this. Like, you know, anyway, he makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. He's a great person. Um There will be other ways to solve these problems. It's not just Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin could be a great tool. And I think politicians who align themselves with Bitcoin, who are focused on uh, like getting money out of politics, they actually can get funded uh, by an economic engine that's honest and transparent because Bitcoin has that kind of economic engine. Um, I think you can create different kinds of candidates different type of people that emerge and actually have a lot of support from people.
2: Going back to the uh, vulnerable world hypothesis, uh, I feel like we've done a good job, well, I say we, you've done a good job of highlighting the risks. I still don't feel like I know enough about the potential solutions. One, storytelling. to some centralized control over the access to these technologies. Harm reduction. Harm reduction.
0: Around things like drug addiction. Yeah. Yeah, Various things we can do to reduce the threat profile.
2: I think there's more that needs to be done for creating harmony between individuals and the states because we seem to be living in a very tense world at the moment. We have a lot of disharmony, especially here in the US, but also at geopolitical level.
0: So definitely media, media, uh, information, education, awareness, training needs to start becoming a basic, basic requirement in like, you know, Kate through 12, teaching people how to understand how media lies, how misinformation works, how mass media works, the breakdown of, you know, Fox, MSNBC, left, right, the entire news media system, how broken it is, how to learn how to research trusted sources, how to learn how to verify whether or not you believe something, how to verify facts in the scientific method or Wikipedia, uh, who to trust and who not to trust. That should be basic, like, kindergarten training that is being done all across the nation because it's going to equip our kids and our parents, and we should, frankly, be doing adult re-education seminars gonna say, for but, free online.
2: But this is within an education system that itself is fundamentally broken.
0: Yeah, but we can do online MOOCs. We can yeah. do online courses. We can literally offer it for free. There can be online free... We've got teenagers. Like, one of my friends homeschools their kids. Uh, it was so funny. We were in Malta with Adam. with the, It was one of the investors in Blockstream. And uh, this... 14 year old girl leaves the beach and she's like, I gotta go attend a course. I'm listening to a Stanford course I'm auditing. She's 14, she's auditing the Stanford course.
2: Wow.
0: Right, online. Because, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I turned to her mom, I'm like, what kind of like 14 year old leaves the beach in the middle to go listen to it, she was, she's getting prepped. She ended up going into, uh, getting into an Ivy League school, incredibly successful. She did Khan Academy, she did online courses. Um, but I, I was having a discussion with this mother about homeschooling and education systems and it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, she was arguing with another parent about, this parent was berating her for taking her kid out of school and saying, how dare you? Like, you're not socializing your kid, you're not exposing them to other people. And at one point, this, my friend kind of barked back and said, listen, you, you put your kids in school so they can get a job in the future. I took my kids out of school so they can hire your kid, so they can create the company that's gonna hire your kid for that job. It was never a truer statement they took, she took her kids out of school and homeschooled and educated themselves. So yes, we have a massive education problem, but it's solvable. We have online courses. We can do online tutoring. We can do massive adult reeducation. You know, if we make it a requirement to create a nationalized media awareness and misinformation course, and create a MOOC that teaches you how to read between the lines when Fox News and MSNBC are just like lying to each other and populating your brain with garbage and how to look up actual information, how to trust sources, how to read the newspaper, how to like you know analyze whether New York Times has bias versus Washington Post versus you know the Wall Street journal like. Every single publication has a point of view and a bias and an editorial board. And if people are taught to be aware of that, they'll be able to operate in the world so much more effectively.
2: It's like a positive re-education camp.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's just, it gives people the tools they need to be able to understand the media information wars and the media wars that are going on.
2: If enough people care, that's the problem. It's getting people to care.
0: Yeah, but... You can gamify it. Turn mm. it into a game. Viral mechanics.
2: It does feel like you're an optimist, which is good.
0: Yeah, I mean, the solutions are out there. We just need enough motivated, hopeful people to apply themselves. The creativity of the human spirit uh, surprises me and amazes me. Like, I'm not going to do it. I, like, I'm retired. I'm living in Latin America. I'm trying to uh, get married Live a slow life.
2: Yeah. I look forward to that. Okay, look, if people want to learn more about this vulnerable world hypothesis, where should they go and read? We've obviously mentioned Rob Reed uh, in this, who people should research, but... The- uh,
0: yeah, Rob Reed's TED Talk, uh, Nick Bostrom, mm-hmm. his TED Talk. We can put these in the show notes if you want. Yeah, we will. Um, the uh, Rob Reed's podcast is incredible. Mm-hmm. That talks about some of these issues. Um, the, uh, Liv and Igor, Liv, uh, Bori and Igor, I'm not going to pronounce his name. Anyway, the people behind Reg Charity, these are some poker players who, uh, do charitable giving and, uh, they invest in a huge amount of incredible charities and they direct charitable giving on existential threats harm reduction, AI safety. Um, So that's a great place to look and I'll give you the link and the resources.
2: Amazing. Austin, this was a a double pleasure this and yesterday. And uh, I've heard so many names that I want to go and research and try and get them on the podcast as well. And I think you and I will be doing this again, hopefully at some point in the future, but I really appreciate you coming and doing this. This was an absolute pleasure, really enjoyed it. These are my favorite types of interviews.
0: Peter, it's been really, really fun. I appreciate your time and I appreciate what you do for the community.
2: Thank you,
1: man. Well, let's talk again soon, brother.
0: It's been great. Thanks.
1: All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at did.com.